What changed a lot of people's ideas about it was the, I guess, the unraveling of Amazon Haven, you know, for everyone was like, what's, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? Oh my God, they're going to buy this. They're going to start this. Like we have to compete or maybe we shouldn't even bother competing. And then now it's like, even Amazon has figured out like, this is too much work. I can't, we can't do healthcare. Like we, we can fly Jeff Bezos to the space, but this is, this is, this is too much. I'm sorry. Hello and welcome to Himscast. I'm your host, Jonah Comstock. The first two quarters in digital health funding this year have smashed previous records with a combined 13.3 billion raised, according to Moby Health News' accounting. This is compared to 13.8 billion raised in all four quarters of 2021. And with 6.2 billion of that raised in Q2, it seems like the funding is barely slowing down, if at all. To say nothing of the numerous IPO and SPAC deals that have gone down this year. So to look back at this momentous first half of 2021, I'm joined by Moby Health News Managing Editor, Laura Lovett. Hi, Laura. Hey, happy to be here. And I'm also very excited to welcome Heather Mack. But before we get into it, let me thank our sponsor for today, OnTrack. OnTrack Incorporated is a leading AI and technology-enabled healthcare company. For more information, you can visit www.ontrack-inc.com. Welcome, Heather Mack who was a Moby Health News Associate Editor way back in 2016 and 2017, and now works with Greylock Partners. Uh, Heather, welcome to the show. Hey, Jonah, Laura, thanks for having me. Heather, before we get started, tell us a little bit about what you do with Greylock these days. Yeah, so now I work at Greylock Partners, which is a venture capital firm. It's been around since 1965 in Silicon Valley in San Francisco. We also, um, actually, our original office is in uh, Boston, <laughs> so right by you guys. Um, and we're pretty broadly in enterprise software and some consumer tech. It's a little bit of digital health, but it's mainly, you know, cybersecurity, a lot of things like Workday, Okta, um, very famous for um, LinkedIn, that sort of thing. And at Greylock, I'm the head of content and editorial. And so it's not PR, but I, I work with partners and portfolio companies and some of our specialists within the firm, such as recruiters and um, uh, people who help work with like our university outreach programs. Uh, I help them develop their story about what they're doing. Um, and this can be essays, podcasts, anything that helps them get out like what they're doing, what they're looking for to help with recruiting, to help uh, demystify the, the an investment thesis they may have. Um, and that's what I do. Prior to that, I was at the Wall Street Journal covering venture capital and technology, focusing on digital health and biotech and also anything that had to do with science. So um, plant-based meats, agriculture, synthetic biology. And then, as you mentioned before that, I was at Moby Health News. Awesome. Yeah, I'd love to dig into some of your, your knowledge from lots of different perspectives. Uh, you know, maybe just starting with that overview Obviously, digital health has skyrocketed this year. Do you think that's going to continue or what are you seeing in your court? We saw a crazy amount of activity in, in all fundraising across every sector in 2020 and it's still through 2021. We've seen it. A bunch of companies go public. A bunch of companies have uh, M&A. We saw we, SPACs. I think digital health is just another one of those that greatly benefited and a lot of it had to do with people finally realizing how important it was and how many people were actually working on these really hard problems. Everything came into, you know, stark relief with the pandemic and everyone's seeing like, 
hey, actually our information management systems are really bad. Hey, our care coordination is not good if you don't invest in these new technologies that will actually improve it. And at the same time, you saw a lot of employers who suddenly had to think about the benefits that they offered their employees. Like we have to give them access to telehealth. We have to give them access to, um, you know, things like Clio, which has things for, for parents, childcare. We have to give them access to mental health platforms. And um, I think there was just a big uptick because everyone didn't really have a choice in order to give people the care that they needed. And, you know, hospitals and healthcare systems really had to adopt uh, digital technologies so they could just carry on. I think you've identified several interesting trends there. Um, mental health, yeah, is one you sort of touched on, but like even on top of everything else, I think there's been a huge rate uh, rising sort of awareness of, of mental health as something that needs to be managed that we need to be aware of because it's been such a, you know, kind of crushing and trying time for so many people. Definitely. I was thinking too about in terms of digital health is part of the, the reason that it's skyrocketing with funding is, is digital health just becoming health now? And so, you know, we used to say it's the health industry that is, you know, raising this much money, but is digital health just integrating to the point where it's becoming a little bit interchangeable? And so we're sort of beginning to emerge from, you know, me just reporting on, say, like digital health funding to reporting on health funding. And I, I'm wondering if that's sort of part of that trend as well. I think so. I mean, it's as you as we all know, I mean, these technologies and these ideas that people have been floating around about how to improve health with, with digital tools has been around for a long time. But people just, you know, with things like using Zoom, with things like using all these collaboration um, software so people could work from home. It's just these things of like, OK, this is just how we do it now. And actually, it's way better. Um, <laughs> I think that's a lot of it. It's, you know, you don't have an option you have to have things digital. Yeah. It's so funny. I am obviously a health tech journalist and I felt like such a fraud. The first time I used telehealth was during the pandemic. And now I'm pretty, converted. <laughs> I'm pretty converted to it because I'm like, this is so much easier. I can have my, you know, call at midnight, have my prescription waiting in the morning. Um, and it's just, yeah, I was very surprised by how easy it was. So. Yeah. And I think a lot of people didn't realize how many things you could do on these platforms. Um, something like a, a company we work with at Greylock is Solve Health. Um, you know, you think of them as the people who connect you with urgent care platforms, but they also had telehealth appointments. They help people get COVID tests. They could call in prescriptions. They could coordinate with your doctors. It's people really started to realize like these aren't all just one off point solutions that I'm going to use one time and then I'm going to have to cobble everything else together with all these other programs or, you know, a mix of how am I going to get this thing delivered to me? How am I going to get this this thing um filled every people realize really what was available on all these platforms so one thing about this funding boom is that it doesn't to me seem to have the hallmarks of like a rush or a bubble um i think especially all of the companies going public really suggests that the people involved um think that this is something that's going to be a, a long-term sustainable growth like a you know a market that is here to stay would you guys agree with that do you see signs of that too I would agree with that. And I think, you know, just with this larger awareness that everyone has about how the healthcare system works, because people had to figure out how it all works. Um, also, you know, hospitals now having to um, make public all their pricing, um, 
companies competing for talent and offering them better and more benefits and saying like, this is how everything works. I think there's a real realization that, um, you know, all the different components that have to go into place to make healthcare really work for every person. And so I think it's, you know, people are figuring out this isn't just like a, a, a blip when people are going to need healthcare for a little while. It's, it's always so make it better. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's going to start transitioning to be health as a hybrid model more and more. You do have like your tech first uh, hybrid models, like a one medical or a kind body, but you also have those day-to-day providers who are transitioning on to telehealth services. And so I don't think that we're going to have healthcare that's solely in one location, like hospital clinic. I think it's going to be also in the home going forward. Uh, and I think that's just going to be across the board. This transition has been happening for a while. You know, telehealth is more than 20 years old and yet everybody treats it like a new technology. But, you know, I, I think with the pandemic, it's a really it's an adoption uh, that we've seen, not necessarily a ton of innovation. I mean, there's innovation too, don't get me wrong, but I do think like what really happened in COVID was an adoption uh, or a rapid adoption process. Totally. And the behavior change has always been what's the hardest thing of, of any new technology or any technology, old, new, um, or anything, period. It doesn't necessarily be technology. It's a, that's the hardest thing to actually have it stick is the, is the human behavior and consumer behavior. And this great shift that we saw during the pandemic was, you know, that was a good push for everybody. So this podcast is connected to our virtual care paradigm series. And the general thesis of that series is this idea that telehealth is going beyond just the traditional video visits. Um, you know, and now that the video visits have become, in a sense, sort of table stakes, we're starting to see what else could telehealth be. And a lot of that is more asynchronous, more app-based, more specialized. And as I look through the companies that have raised, you know, the really big funding rounds the, these past two quarters, you know, I see things like Noom, which was the, you know, in, in our accounting, the biggest um, racer, which is, you know, an app around weight loss and fitness. Um, and also things like Hinge Health, which is, you know, digital health for MSK, Capsule, which is a digital pharmacy. And it feels like, um, you know, it's not just that, like, it, these aren't just a telehealth kind of enabling um technologies that are being adopted by providers, but a lot of these are are direct-to-consumer sort of pieces of the care puzzle um, that people are either adopting through their employee employer or, you know, or directly through these companies. Roe is another big one you know, um, in particular. So, I mean, what do you guys think of that? How is this shaping up in terms of um, who's going to own sort of virtual care and, and these, these telehealth um, advances that are, you know, that are right now raising all this money? It's hard to say who's going to own it. Um, I mean, the way when, when you're talking about all these different services and platforms, it kind of makes me think of, you know, kind of the equivalent of like e-commerce or, you know, anything else that's online that like you're not really thinking about. Well, obviously, Amazon owns e-commerce, but like, you know, when you're thinking about all these different things that you do online, you're not necessarily thinking like, well, what's the one thing that I'm going to go to for everything or who's the one that I can like is going to do xyz services it's just people are like okay well that's online i'll just use this for that people are much more comfortable moving around between them i think and rather than it used to be like such so difficult to ask a consumer like okay you go to this service for this you go to this service for this and now people are like oh it's just like anything else i think i hope i think 
too, you know, it's interesting because I think I was talking to Oscar Health CEO and he was saying that a lot of they sort of had started having their own providers via telehealth for people. And Oscar is sort of an insure tech company. Um, but what's interesting is he said a lot of the people who were getting care that way did not have their own PCPs before. So I'm wondering if it's also tapping into, and I think um, there's been a lot of trends with millennials. Um, I'm not exactly sure about Gen Zers, but I believe it's sort of the same trend, not having PCPs. So is telehealth going to help fill that gap where you don't have perhaps the the relationships with brick and mortar, but, you know, having a hybrid approach? Um, and I'm, I'm wondering, yeah, if it's going to be sort of to, to fill, like if you need something right away sort of thing. Well, that's the thing is it like, some of them make it so easy, like one medical or Oscars are saying, is like, why do I need a, a PCP when anytime I want to just open the app and like go see who's ever available? And I already know the entire organization has all my records. They have access to my information. So why do I need to find one person? You know, it's not really necessary if the data management and the data sharing is secure enough and up to date enough. Absolutely. Um for some of these spaces, you know, we do see kind of themes themes where, you know, we'll see two or three companies that seem to be doing more or less the same thing or tackling more or less the same problem, um, you know, in some of these areas like mental health, like MSK. I mean, do you, do you either of you think there's any risk that these spaces are becoming saturated or are we still at the point where there's just such a large addressable market that there's room for a lot of people to play? Uh, the latter, I think the, the there's such a large addressable market. I mean, there's however many billions of people there are in the world and how many people have mental health uh, c- concerns. I mean, I think that's a very large population. It's, you know, it's always been a problem of access. So, you know, I think having more companies who are able to put mental health care providers in front of people, the better. I guess we just need more mental health care professionals in general. Yeah. I mean, that is one bottleneck. And that's always been a conversation with telehealth is it it can increase supply in that it can um, increase the efficiency of individual providers. But at the end of the day, you're still going to need a certain number of, of, you know, doctors or trained professionals or whatever it is. Actually, on the telehealth thing, I think, or on mental health, rather, I think something that's really important to know, and I've talked about um, a lot with a, a source of mine who's a psychiatrist, is there needs to be clarity for people on who they're talking to, because mental health field is really, really confusing, right? You have psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, coaches, uh, and then you also have AI chatbots. Um, and, and each one can give you something different, but I also think there needs to be some clarity because I don't think the general layperson may know the difference between all of these clinicians. And so, you know, there might be a place for all of those tools out there, but also, people should know what they're accessing. Um, and I think that that's sort of a, a huge thing for the future. Absolutely. And it's it's also an issue of like, you know, any of us who have been, um, who are privileged enough to have the ability to shop around a little bit for, for a mental health care provider is, you know, it's a, it's a very personal relationship. It's someone you need to feel comfortable with. It's someone who you need to feel like understands and listens to you. And it sometimes takes a few tries. And so people need to also know that they have options, but sometimes their options aren't actually available. Yeah. Um, rolling back around to the funding piece, I, I want to ask about a couple of different trends. I, I've mentioned a few times now the IPOs, the SPACs, and that's just something like 
we have never seen in this space on this scale. And I think you remember you know, when you were with us, we, we maybe wrote up two IPOs the whole time. It was like Fitbit and yeah. whatever. And now it's just like it feels like every other week. Um, what's driving that? And, um, and do you think it's kind of, you know, do you think it's it's a good idea? These Are these companies going to be able to sustain themselves as public companies? I think so. I mean, what, what did we have? Last year, so we had uh, Livongo. That was 2019, 2020. Yeah, that was we a had big a few, kind of starter. We f- yeah, we had a few big ones, and then who was it? Was it one one medical? <laughs> Public, and it's yeah. I mean, I I I hope that they're able to convince, continue to convince investors that this is a real thing, and we're going to put money. I mean, the whole thing about healthcare is it's they're never in order to fix it, it needs to stop being such a profit-driven business, but, you know, that's kind of the sticking point because if it's like, it's going to be an attractive thing to investors. Laura, I know you've looked into this a little bit, um, and I think you you wrote up a, a report Rock Health did sort of analyzing the, the SPAC trends. So what I would say is 2020, we saw a lot of IPOs. 2019, 2020, we saw a lot of IPOs. And then there just started being the SPAC craze. And everybody was doing a SPAC, not an IPO. And it was just a very, uh, it, was a, it was a huge way to, I mean, perhaps, and, and I think Rock Health Reports said this. For people who don't know the lingo, SPAC is a special purpose acquisition company. And it's a, it's a way of going public without doing an IPO by, by getting acquired by a company that's already public but doesn't really do anything and then basically changing its name to the company that it bought. <laughs> Yeah. And what, you know, and I guess this makes sense because it also often comes with some more funding for the company who is going through this back. Um, but it's often a little bit earlier stage companies than the people doing I- or the companies doing IPOs. Not always, but oftentimes that's sort of how it works. Um, so far, I would say we have seen some successes, but it's still really early on. Uh, and then obviously you have sort of the big wigs like a teledoc which has been on the market for a really, really long time. Um, but Livongo went public and then Teladoc bought them for $18.5 billion. So, I mean, that's pretty successful in terms of an exit. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think there's a lot of interest in them. And so far, and again, during the pandemic, a lot of telehealth companies did really, really well. Um, I will say we are starting to see some of those companies um, I don't want to say struggle, but but it tapers a little bit from that huge growth uh, that it was during COVID. Um, so I know, like, say, like an Amwell or a Teladoc, um, we're having, like, huge gains. And now I think it's, um, it is tapering off a little bit from, from that huge interest it had during COVID. Yeah, I, on the whole thing of SPACs, I mean, that's something that we saw a lot in the more general um, funding ecosystem with, with autonomous driving <laughs> companies. So something that's kind of, you know, very resource intensive, a little bit riskier, hasn't been fully proven yet. So it's it became a, a very attractive way to, to do some fundraising without as much risk for the company. But with healthcare, it's, it's I find it really interesting that they're doing it because it's like this is it's proven that we need healthcare and a lot of these technologies work. So it's it's interesting that they're using that same vehicle. That's really my only comment. I just I don't know enough about how they're doing now, any companies that have spac And then the other trend I, I wanted to talk about a little bit was um, M&A, um, you know, exits. And that's something we have been seeing forever in this space. Um, but it's still, you know, some consolidation is still happening, sort of a healthy amount. Um, 
And and I think that ties into the question before about sort of how saturated is or isn't the market. But I, it also feels like the, the exciting M&As we've been seeing now haven't so much been about consolidation as they have been about like um, uh, diversification and like, you know, like Teladoc buying Livongo. Let's, you know, let's take this space that we're sort of leading in, but but look to where it's going in the future and make sure that we have, uh, you know, the ingredients to to lead, even if it sort of pivots. So I'm interested in sort of what you guys think about this, these trends and, and how M&A um, fits into, you know, what we're seeing and how we're envisioning this future. Yeah, I think that more and more we're going to see virtual health providers try to be whole health providers. So have more, like, I think that that's just going to be sort of the trend is you're going to have like say, for example, hims and hers. I know that they're looking more for like towards primary care. Um, they started off in sexual health and wellness. They've then expanded to, you know, um, all over the place, allergies, all this kind of thing. And I think what we're going to see is more and more companies are going to try to be the one-stop shop. Um, and you do that through M&A. Um, so I think that, yeah, we're going to see in terms of virtual care providers, a lot of that. Yeah, I mean... M&A in general has been crazy for the last 18 months across every industry. I mean, everyone is, everyone has lots of money. Everyone's seeing these great changes across so many aspects of life. So we saw just a ton of activity in, in every space. And as you said, Laura, you know, people are trying to be this one-stop shop. I think we'll continue to see to see more activity. I think they're gonna people are going to start getting a little bit more selective. What are you really trying to do? I think what changed a lot of people's ideas about it was the, I guess, the unraveling of Amazon Haven, you know, for everyone was like, what's, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? Oh my God, they're going to buy this. They're going to start this. Like we have to compete or maybe we shouldn't even bother competing. And then now it's like, even Amazon has figured out like, this is too much work. I can't, we can't do healthcare. Like we, we can fly Jeff Bezos to the space, but this is this is this is too much. I'm sorry. Um, so I think that I think it's you know it's been good for the space as a whole. It encouraged people to start kind of fighting again to to get as much as they could under one hood. But it's really interesting you were talking about Amazon. I'm interested too in. I know there's been a lot of funding in digital pharmacies, and Amazon has is you know Amazon is offering really really good rates right now. Is that making it hard for others to compete in the traditional pharmacy? I think that that's a really interesting thing. Like you saw Capsule um, had a lot of funding and that's a digital pharmacy as well. Um, but is someone like Amazon, you know, is, is that a danger that it comes in and it is the one place everyone goes? It's possible, Amazon. Um, something else I was thinking about with M&A. So a lot of the companies who, who I'm involved with on, on a day-to-day basis, they're, they're using applied machine learning and AI. And, you know, that's something we've talked about in healthcare for a really long time for really advanced um, uh, capabilities. But a lot of the companies that have a lot of traction in more of like an enterprise software space are those who are just, you know, they're just extending um, the abilities of everyday workers. It's, you know, a lot of robotic process automation for a lot of backend stuff. It's, you know, kind of boring stuff, but it makes a huge difference in the workflow and everyone's abilities. And it would be interesting if, uh, if a digital health company or, or just a, a legacy healthcare company started acquiring some of that, those companies, because, you know, I know some of them are trying to specialize a little bit more and you could see it being a huge help for, for a healthcare company. And, I know back in the day when I was really immersed in this space, there were companies that were specifically doing that just for healthcare. 
but it would be interesting if they if people were involved with you know maybe a later stage company that had been doing that for for years with a call center for commerce or you know some some of them are working with car manufacturers something like that where they just have huge employees all around the world um it would be interesting to see a healthcare company do some deals like that yeah i think automation is going to be huge in healthcare and something that it's 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 not the glamorous part right that we all see but i think yeah i mean what that can save and also efficiency that's going to be huge yeah totally agree the unglamorous part is what trips trips us up all the time. It's, you know, it's people who are overworked. It's people who miss things. It's people who don't get notifications. It's just because all these little annoying admin things that everyone has to think about are just too hard and distracting. That's that's not glamorous. It's not it's not like, you know, detecting cancer with uh, some sort of AI image recognizer. It's It's not as exciting as that, but it's that's what makes all the issues with healthcare so difficult every single day. And especially with COVID, there's tons of burnout. So, so we're sort of coming to the end of our time. I just want to ask for any kind of final thoughts or or predictions. Um, You know, what do you guys think will happen in the second half of 2021 with funding? And, uh, and where do you think this is all kind of leading to? I think there's going to be more funding. I, I don't really see a cooling off period yet. I think, yeah, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw more M&A, like you said, in expanding services, um, you know, like, yeah, who knows who it's going to be next. But I wouldn't be surprised if some of these direct-to-consumer, um, like a Hims and Hers or a Roe or one of those companies, um, you know, as they try to expand, I wouldn't be surprised if they also had some, some more M&A to, to get that holistic approach in. Yeah, and a general trend we've been seeing for a while was more um, more generalist investors getting involved. And I think that there was, uh, you know, COVID really helped, you know, accelerate that a lot. Like it accelerated a lot of things. I think you're going to see more generalist investors who maybe aren't super well versed in all of the intricacies of digital health, and maybe they're a little bit late to the game, but they're they're very motivated now to really understand. Often they have bigger funds they're coming from. They're great at doing due diligence. It's, I think we're going to see more funding from the general investors who maybe don't have as much of a health track, health, health uh, investment record. I think you're going to see more people just in general uh, really involved because this, this last year and a half really showed us that it's really important to make these systems better. And a wider range of investors is just going to contribute to a, a bigger pool of money. So we'll keep that ball rolling well thank you both so much this is really fun um it's always fun i think to take a step back and try to look at the big picture of uh you know away from our daily coverage and and the the daily work thing that you do heather um on the on the uh, editorial side at graylock um so maybe we can get together and do this again uh in another quarter or half um Thank you so much. Uh, thank you again to our sponsor, OnTrack. OnTrack Incorporated is a leading AI and technology-enabled healthcare company. And for more information, you can visit www.ontrack-incorporated.com. We'll include a link, uh, a couple of links in the show notes to some of the funding coverage that we've done at, at Moby Health News um, around the, the quarter and a half. And uh, until next time, keep innovating, keep being a healthcare changemaker. maker.